Well, welcome to This Week in Sustainability. This is a roundup issue for 2019 and a little bit of the decade that just ended. Uh, there were literally thousands of amazing and saddening advances and setbacks in all things sustainable this past year. There were incremental Incremental gains in product design, redesign, recycling systems, pollution abatement, community development, agroecology, and much, much more. Well, these issues may not have always got the news they deserved, even as they supported sustainability gains both broad and deep. Well, this week in sustainability did, however, capture some of these more behind-the-scenes wins and losses. But more than anything else, we wrote and focused on the big, the dramatic changes in the sustainability news. And for those of you who've been watching sustainability over the years, it was clear to see that the 2010s were all about increasing transparency. Even in a fact-challenge world, movements around the world pushed governments, organizations, and companies to come clean on their economic, environmental, and social impacts. And as we learned, the sustainability performance of most of them, most organizations, was found wanting. Well, that will make organizational accountability the most important issue of the coming decade. That's not as exciting as uh, extinction rebellions and political theater, but as the carbon countdown continues, promises and commitments can no longer be idle, washed in green, or go unpunished if left unmet. Now, beyond this broader observation of the 2010s, there were 10 specific themes which stood out this, the last year of the second decade of what will be the sustainable century by design or disaster. Here are our top 10 stories from this week in sustainability. Well, the first story is Friday for Future. It's rare that kids tell their parents what to do with such stark clarity. But this year, the climate kids, the world round did just that from Uganda to Sweden, New York, to India, parents got a well-deserved moral spanking from the climate kids. And like all kids, the climate kids' superpower is not getting messed up on what can or can't be done. Forget the stock market, forget the GDP, forget whatever came before or whatever worries you about now and in the future. Because they know there is no planet B, there is no other way except to be carbon free. They are right and we know it and may the gods great and small bless them all and may they keep protesting till we adults finally get it. Well our next story is Extinction Rebellion. A cast of thousands turning heads and minds are the folks who took to the streets this year in the non-violent Extinction Rebellion or XR. Led by our sisters and brothers in the UK but protesting the world round XR rebels, both young and old, blocked traffic, they climbed statues, and they went defiantly to prison, demanding governments do something meaningful and do something now about climate change and threats to biodiversity. Directly and indirectly, governments in Scotland, Wales, New Zealand, Canada, and more than 300 state and local governments listened up and are now pursuing a carbon-free world, mostly by 2050. Well, will these commitments work? Will more governments come on board? Well, we'll have to wait and see. But in the meantime, we can expect more rebellion. XR forever. Well, moving right along, our next story is called The Transparentization of Big Oil, a.k.a. Forced Transparency. In the late 1970s, Exxon, the mighty U.S. fossil fuel company, discovered through its very own research that climate change was a real and imminent threat to humanity. 
The problem, they found, was burning of fossil fuels. So, like the great corporate citizen it is, Exxon immediately notified governments around the world and began the long but economically sane and stable transition to become the first carbon-free energy company in the world. Their CEO received the Nobel Prize for Safeguarding Humanity, and we all now venerate this $3 trillion company. Okay, not, not really. As we all know, Exxon decided to bury the evidence and peddle its petrocarbon death instead. Other big oil companies followed suit, and over the last 30 years, when we could have been fixing the problem of carbon, big oil all got away, literally, with murder. This year, more than any other big oil generally, and Exxon specifically, is being held to account. Activists punished big oil's reputation throughout the year for its decades of deceit. The press, particularly the Guardian newspaper, but others as well, have called out Exxon and Big Oil for their bullying, influence peddling, political extortion, outright lying, and their climate impacts. Big Oil remains obstinate in the face of clear culpability and a climate crisis gone critical. Three facts, among many, believe me, stand out. Uh, first, Big Oil continues to commit publicly to promoting clean energy with the left hand while stroking fossil fuels with the right. Less than 2%, this is number two, less than 2% of Big Oil future investments will be made in low carbon energy production. That's right, 98%. 98% of their investments are going to be in projects extracting and burning fossil fuels. Just doesn't make sense, right? Not considering their public commitments to clean energy. Anyways, number three, Big Oil has spent over $3.5 billion, around $3.6 billion in the last decade on, decade on propaganda bent on confusing climate change warnings and in what is surely to be judged a crime against humanity, influencing politicians and other corporate leaders to support the sale of their dirty product. History, I fear, will not be kind to the CEOs of Exxon and other big oil companies, and they will be judged very, very badly. But we don't have to wait for that judgment day. What we have to do is attend to the crisis here and now. Their shame and justice for the rest of us all will simply have to wait. Well, our next story is about climate and other legal our next story is about climate and other legal challenges that are piling up in favor of sustainability. Uh, a host of legal climate versus SSCGA, aka some shitty corporation or another, uh, challenges have been making their way or are making their way through judicial systems around the world, many to our sustainability delight, ruling against the bad guys. In a move to increase big oil accountability, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, for instance, sued Exxon in October of this year for allegedly hiding the risks its own products pose to the climate crisis. In the Netherlands, the courts said the governments had to lower carbon emissions to pre-1990 levels. And in the Philippines, the Commission for Human Rights there recently announced the company could hold 47 of the world's largest fossil fuel firms accountable for their contribution to global warming. Meanwhile, in The Hague, Netherlands, again, Ecoside Law Organization is inches, inches from having the International Criminal Court declare willful contributions to climate crisis a crime against humanity. Uh, while in the UK, Client Earth, another great organization, 
took the United Kingdom oil giant BP to court for misleading the public with its clean energy propaganda. Uh, that sounds familiar, right? And then finally, while not an outright win, a New York judge found Exxon not guilty of misleading investors with allegedly bogus project carbon cost underestimations. The judge did note, however, that the case, and this is the silver lining, that the case was about commercial dealings and not about the climate. Noting, nothing in this opinion is intended to absolve ExxonMobil from responsibility for contributing to climate change through the emissions of greenhouse gases. That sounds good to me. Uh, it's all kind of exciting that judges are beginning to side with the climate uh, and sanity, just generally speaking. And this is just a sampling of the legal challenges of climate against one shitty company or another. Moving right along, toxic Trump continues to roll back environmental regulations. U.S. President, by electoral college vote only, Donald J. Trump, well, his sustainability legacy will be multifaceted bad. Of this, there can be no doubt. From caging kids to demolishing democratic rights, massively diluting faith in science and fact, taking food stamps and other benefits away from poor families, veterans and seniors, raising taxes on middle-income families while cutting checks to the rich, etc., etc. Well, or you can just fill in the blank your own way on what is the worst thing he's done to harm the world. This man, he's not going to leave anything behind but a burnt-out field of hopes and dreams. And his worst impact? Well, that's reserved for the environment and climate. Not only did toxic Trump continue his toxic ways against the natural world this year, he ramped them up. He doubled down and then he tripled down on them, rolling back over 90 important environmental regulations. And let's not even talk about pulling America out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Mostly in aid of his large corporate big oil, big finance and big ag friends, Trump has canceled a requirement for oil and gas companies to report methane emissions, revoked California's power to set stringent car and light truck emission standards, rescinded water pollution fracking on federal and Indian land regulations, and made it far more difficult to protect endangered species. And these, these are just the highlights. While egregious all, Trump's quest to allow mineral and gas petroleum exploitation in some of the nation's most wondrous national parks and America's Indian lands is symbolically amongst the worst of the bad lot. How could anybody allow destruction in such sacred places, unique places, as Utah's Grand Staircase Escalante and Bears Ear Monuments? Or in Tongass National Forest in Alaska? It's beyond reason, even for someone who has likely never set foot in nature, unless of course you count the considerable time he spends in the rough on his golf courses. Would Teddy Roosevelt be alive today? He'd be gearing up for a fight. And we know, we all know, who'd win that battle, don't we? Well, this year saw more than the steady incremental gains of assets invested with environmental, social, and governance criteria, or ESG criteria applied. Uh, as hundreds of new investment managers committed to reducing carbon in their portfolios. As we reported last week in this week in sustainability, 16 asset owners committed to the UN Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance. These are investors who will work towards net zero across their entire portfolio by 2050. 
Another 600 plus investors representing $37 trillion have joined the global investor statement on governments on climate action. Now, this is all very good. What is as good, however, is the growing awareness among investment professionals that they actually have a sustainability impact which can be measured and, in fact, improved. Yet, despite this and these big ESG uh, numbers, very little impact has been seen or felt on the ground or in the atmosphere. As Helen Avery recently wrote, much of what is called green investments are hardly green at all, and there is little to no understanding if they have any impacts at all. Uh, the contradictions abound. Take, for example, Goldman Sachs, even as it announced a trillion dollars in finance, advisory, and investment for its commitment to climate change initiatives, big finance was caught out in their complicity to grow fossil fuel extractions. That's unbelievable. Investor sustainability commitments are growing, and that is a fact, and this is heartening. But keeping them honest and measuring their impact will be amongst the most critical tasks of sustainability activists and advocates in the coming year. Now, speaking of that, startling, shattering, frightening images from around the world this year convinced millions upon millions that we are indeed facing a climate crisis. From the Sydney Opera House, shrouded in ashes, to a masked man bicycling in Delhi, hardly visible 10 feet away, photographers have shown us in graphic detail what a fossil fuel-laden future just might look like. Amazon fires seen from space, homes and businesses ablaze in California and farmlands underwater from Bangladesh to Oklahoma, well, they only serve to show us and scare us, quite frankly, a little bit more. Among the starkest images this year were of the precious koala bears burning in the fiercest bushfires in Australian history. Like those of the Vietnam War two generations ago, these images, I hope, I pray, I hope and I pray, will focus the tide of public opinion in a way scientific facts might never achieve. Uh, we should take a moment here to recognize the 13 journalists that have been killed reporting environmental stories around the world in the past decade, with 16 more suspicious deaths being investigated. May the gods, great and small, protect and inspire the world's journalists, photojournalists, amateur and professional. Well, moving right along, COP is taking a gap year. Even as there were no great expectations that COP25 might shake the world this year, there were great hopes that it might actually shake the world this year. <laughs> After a week of slugging it out with obstinate self-serving big emitter interests, it was clear that nothing earth-shaking was going to happen. Still, we held hope. We held out hope for minor advances and at the very least greater and more meaningful carbon emission reduction target commitments by major emitter nations like China and the U.S. Neither happened. Yes, of course, Canada and New Zealand, amongst other smaller countries, committed to carbon-neutral economies by 2050. But this may be a case of too little, too late, even if the optimists amongst us, myself included, feel it's something to build on. Critically, and despite the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report released just prior to COP25, which found global carbon emissions are actually increasing instead of decreasing, Major emitter countries, along with their big emitter corporate facilitators, intentionally stalled the creation of a desperately needed global carbon market. 
Instead of rising to the occasion, all COP organizers could manage was a feeble COP is all about incremental change statement. Well, if that was not bad enough, organizers suggested the, the rebel rousing youth, those who have done more to create a political space for substantially addressing the climate crisis, get their own table at a different venue, far from the adults at COP26. That is outstandingly blockheaded. Let's hope next year Scottish COP26 organizers have more sense and steel to tell big emitters to keep their mouths shut and that good things come in small packages. Well, it seems personal cars are not going away soon, not, not with the way we organize our urban areas and given our passions for driving and preference for on-command mobility. Uh, this makes sales of electric vehicles or EVs vitally important in the struggle for a carbon free economy and this year sales and production scale of electronic vehicles uh, finally amounted to something really real nearly 1.6 million units real now major automobile manufacturers are finally competing for the EV markets as if they are the future of mobility and of course of course they are Volkswagen, GM, Volvo, amongst others, are now responding not only to the rise of Tesla and its 1,500 uh, car per week production output, but um, to the great and swelling demand for electric vehicles. In Norway, for example, almost 50% of all cars sold last year were EVs, and almost 50% of all cars on the road in that country are electronic. Wow, this is fantastic. Now, tag that to other transportation trends from conventional bikes to electric bikes to electric scooters to improved public transport and better urban design such as more and better pedestrian zones bike lanes and paths etc etc and we can see that this year the car carbon needle moved noticeably towards the carbon tipping point for a much cleaner transportation sector now moving right along uh, it was some three years ago uh, when Larry Fink CEO of BlackRock, that's the investment firm in the United States that manages over $7 trillion of other people's money. Well, when he first came out with his annual letter proclaiming a commitment to the welfare of their stakeholders, the environment, workers, communities, etc., and not just investment returns. Now, three consecutive years worth of letters later seemed to have paid off when this year, the Business Roundtable, an international group of large corporations of which BlackRock is a member, proclaimed that its members will take a stakeholder and not a shareholder first approach to business. This is something else because this new corporate uh, constitution, if you will, finally put to bed the long-standing bedrock defense of the shareholder first and only raison d'etre, or reason for being for companies popularized by economist Milton Friedman in the late 1970s. This is a great start, like so many other things going on this past year. But don't hold your breath for massive and notable sustainability impact changes just yet. For like ESG investor commitments, corporate proclamations like this are shrouded in qualifications and stalling tactics delaying real change. Indeed, the coming decade, again, will prove the value of Mr. Fink and Friends' words only if we keep an eye on what they are doing. Well, looking forward, activists, investors, consumers, non-governmental organizations, the United Nations, the courts, and even some governments spent the last decade catching out corporate malfeasance in record volume. 
Uh, while this may give us the impression that corporations are getting worse and not better, that's just not the case. What we are seeing is a lot more nasty because of increased transparency. This is a good thing. The state of the world is going to get worse, or it's going to at least seem to get worse before it gets better as transparency initiatives increase, as they certainly will over the next decade. Yet, if we are to capitalize on this increased transparency, and if we continue to hold truth to power as we have in the 2010s, the coming decade must be dedicated to something even more radical, measuring corporate sustainability commitments and impacts. There will be no advancing sustainability, no reducing carbon, no increasing economic equality without holding organizations, private and public, to the very standards of performance they have committed themselves to achieving. This will be incredibly important to advancing a sustainable economy. But as important will be the millions, millions of sustainability initiatives, large and small, led by all manner of folks, institutions, corporations, and governments, which will all combine to great and inspiring change for all. I have hope, we should all have hope, that this will be the sustainable century. Well, that's a wrap for uh, this week in sustainability uh, for this week, and in fact, this year, this decade. But remember, if you aspire to have more sustainability in your life, check out the Sustainable Century Network at thesustainablecentury.net. Uh, there you'll find podcasts and articles on sustainability news, opinion, lifestyle, and even some do-it-yourself ideas. Also, we want to remind you to catch the latest Sustainable Century podcast. Next week, uh, our special guest will be Quan Nguyen from Vietnam. We'll be talking about climate change in the Mekong Delta. Uh, don't forget to reserve your place for our upcoming webinar, How to Choose a Sustainability-Minded Financial Advisor, and look for more information this month on our website, uh, thesustainablecentury.net. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields. I'm your host of This Weekend Sustainability. Thanks again. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this the sustainable century. Thanks for listening.